It's my pleasure to introduce our speaker tonight, although I'm getting the feeling that I don't really need to introduce you, Sharon. Everybody seems to know you, which is wonderful. But our speaker tonight is Sharon Cargan, who is chair of the Dane County Board of Supervisors. She was first elected to the board in 2010, and then in 2014 was, without opposition, elected chair, right? In addition to being on the board, she has had some interest in an organization called Emerge, but I gather she's not too active in that right now, so, so I won't talk about that. But in any case, I would just thank you so much for coming tonight. She has a huge topic, which is critical issues in Dane County, and I know that every one of you out there will have a really sharp question to ask her afterwards. So it's, it's all yours, Sharon. Thanks, Edith, and thank you to all of you. Um, I, too, will be um, operating without a net here without my uh, PowerPoint presentation. I had brought some belongs with some charts and some graphs so that um, it would help um, describe some of what I'm going to talk about, but I can do it without that, too. Um, it's, I'm honored to be here tonight with all of you. It's, it's a little int intimidating when you think about that uh, this, the League wrote the book on Dane County. There's a manual about Dane County, and... Is it really? Okay. It's a, I, I have read it, and it's a fabulous resource, really. And I, it's something that, I, as a new county board member, I looked at and found very valuable. So I appreciate the kind of depth of knowledge of the league um, and, and your interest in the issues. When Edith asked me to come do this presentation, she said, pick three issues that are critical issues in the county. And it was difficult to pick just three issues. We have a lot of things on our plate. And after those issues were publicized, I had many people come up to me and ask me why I hadn't chosen one or another issue. So people do, people who aren't here tonight, but <laughs> who watched what your program was and um, felt that there should be other issues on the list. So, and they're, and they're right. There are, there are many issues competing for our attention as county board supervisors, but I'm glad to be here tonight to talk about three issues that we've, we've been as a county working very diligently on and um, have some new information on some of them, too. We have um, racial equity, the racial equity issue. In fact, we just issued um, a study that this Monday. You may have seen in the Capital Times today, and it was on television on Monday, uh, the discussion about that. And I'll talk a little bit about what we've been doing on racial equity in the county and kind of what this study tells us we should be doing also. Um, affordable housing and homelessness in the county, which are really tied together um, as issues, and our work on clean lakes that is just so important to us as a county, to our quality of life, and to our um, our economy in our county. So um, I'd I'm looking forward to talking about all of those. I am going to back up a little bit, though, um, to talk just in general, even though I know you know so much about Dane County, but I wanted to give a perspective of kind of what what all we're involved in as a county. For those of you who, who didn't write the book on Dane County, <laughs> to give a little bit of background. And sometimes when I ask people, what do you think of when you think of Dane County and Dane County government, I, I get a little bit of a blank stare from from some, from some people because – 
as county government, we sometimes get lost in the middle. We people, there's all kinds of stories about the state legislature and what they're doing and um, um, issues there. And then there are stories about local government, whether it's you know whatever the city council was fighting over. And there isn't um, there. And with last night, there were some some issues there also. And so that gets a lot of attention in the newspaper and on television. But sometimes county government just gets gets lost in the middle and and people don't hear about it and know about it sometimes they'll think oh Dane County that's the airport right or um, they know it's the, we have the zoo or we have the county courthouse and um, that there's so there's an understanding of that but not of what we do in our it really what we focus so much of our attention and resources on we have a half a billion dollar budget in Dane County that gets invested in this county and we we invested in a lot of places in the county and important programs um, we in the area I, I always say we invest in people places and things as as county government and and as far as people we invest in so much in human services we have our largest program in human services is serving um, youths and adults with developmental disabilities um, is really the, the largest program, and we get federal funding for that in addition to the county funding. Um, we, but we invest in Meals on Wheels for seniors. We have um, a long-term care facility, Badger Prairie, that we have. We invest in job training and mental health services in, school, in, in schools and in the community. We do a lot of work on the issue of homelessness that I'm going to be talking about tonight and affordable housing and just uh, human services. And I think of that as investing in people. And that's that's half our budget is investing in human services. Um, we invest in places we like the airport or the or the zoo we invest in, but we also invest in our parks and recreation, and that's less than 10% of our budget, the parks and recreation. But it really has an outsized impact on quality of life in this county, and it's an important piece of of um, making sure that we have a high quality place to live, a place that that people want to come and visit. And we invest in things. Things like roads and snow plows and squad cars um, in buildings um, in the county we invest in, and things like voting booths, um, you may voting machines. You may not know this, but Dane County helped all of the communities in Dane County buy new voting um, machines for the um, in the last few years. We paid half the cost and and got all the communities to go along with us so that we would be able to have good working machines at the voting booths and be able to have a good accurate count on um, that. So that's another area. We invest in public safety. One out of every five dollars that we spend at the county is in public safety. So those are, those kind of gives you a broad overview. Half our budget, human service, about a fifth of our budget, public safety, and then the rest, um, many of the other programs that I, I talked about, um, conservation and public works. And um, and so I just wanted to give you that little bit of background before we got to discussing the actual issues for tonight. And the first issue I wanted to talk about is our racial equity work. And um, if, if my PowerPoint were working, I, you, would, <laughs> you would see um, a, a definition of equity. And I'll just I'll read it to you because um, it's, it's important to kind of understand what equity is and isn't. It's a just and fair inclusion in society in which all, including all racial and ethnic groups, can participate, prosper, and reach their full potential. Equity gives all people a just and fair shot in life, despite historic patterns of racial and economic exclusion. 
And so equity is that goal out there. It's not how we get there. It's the goal that we're working toward. And I had a great picture on my PowerPoint, too, that kind of gives, um, it really captures it in a, in a good way. And it's three boys watching a baseball game. One is very tall, one's medium-sized, and one's small. And there's a fence in front of them. And they're all standing on a box, one box on, under each of them. And the very tall boy could see the game very, very well. The medium-sized boy is doing just fine with that box. The little boy still can't see the game with the box. They each get one box, and um, that's, that's equality. We gave them each one box, but it didn't do anything for that little boy. But if we give the tall boy no box, the medium-sized boy one box, and the little boy two box, boxes, they all have the same opportunity for success and the same opportunity for outcomes. And Dorothy has the picture right here. Um, <laughs> I don't know if you can see it, but it's. But the importance is is the opportunity for success, and that's what equity is: making sure that everyone in the community has those same opportunities for success. And and we sometimes need to treat people. We need to give different resources to different people in order to make that happen. Um, sometimes people ask me, why are we, why do we spend so much time these days talking about equity? What it, why has that become such an issue in Wisconsin and around the country? And really, um, I have a map, which you cannot see hardly at all, but, <laughs> but, um, but you can, this is in 1980. And in 1980, there was only one county in the state of Wisconsin that had over 30% of the population of that county was, was individuals of color. And that was Menominee County, which is the Menominee um, Reservation, um, the Native American population in Menominee County. And that was in 1980. But the projections are, by 2040, much of the, and there will be quite a few counties in Wisconsin, including Dane, that have over 50% of our county individuals of color. So life is changing throughout the country. In fact, grow, when you look at maps of growth projections throughout the country, that's where the real growth is, is in individuals of color. In our, in our public schools in Madison, we're a majority-minority district in Madison right now. And that's the future of this, this city, and it's the future of much of the county. And we have to, in order to be a successful community, we have to have all of our citizens have the opportunity to be successful. And that's, that's what we're working toward at the county board, doing what part we can do to make sure that, that individuals are successful so that our community can continue to be a successful, prosperous place because we're going to need to, we're, when we need to make sure that everybody has those opportunities. Um, there have been a lot of reports lately. The race to equity report is the most recent, but really showing some of the real problems that we have here in Dane County. And the studies have shown that Wisconsin is the state with the largest um, racial inequities in the country. And within Wisconsin, Dane County is the county with the largest racial inequities. And it just speaks to we have, we have, got, we have work to do. Just some of the, the findings of that report, in Dane County, African Americans are 5.5 times more likely to be unemployed than whites. 5% of Dane County's white children live in poverty. 75% of African American children do. 16% of Dane County's white students don't graduate on time. Half of African American children don't. 
And African-American juveniles are six times more likely to be arrested than white juveniles. Those are just some of the findings from the report, but they really speak to we've, we've got problems that aren't easy. It's not just a checklist that we need to change a law to, <laughs> to make things different. We've got some deep problems that we need to work together to solve. We've started some important work in this community and have some wonderful programs, whether it's the early childhood initiative that the county has to reach out and strengthen strengthen struggling families. We've invested in Big Step, which is a program that helps disadvantaged individuals get jobs in the trades so that they have good-paying jobs that can support a family. We've um, worked on, on things like, you know, making sure people get their, can get a driver's license and helping them with that. Because if you don't have a driver's license, it's hard to have a job. And so we, we, have, we fund programs like that. And we fund um, uh, things with um, a, a program that I'm going to talk about in a little bit, the Community Restorative Court, trying to give better ways to, um, to deal with youth in the legal system so that we're not putting people into the criminal justice system, but making them be responsive and um, for what they've done, but not end up in the criminal justice system. And I'll, I'll talk about that a little bit later. Um, as I said at the beginning, we just um, com- completed a six-month study of Dane County, and it's um, a study of racial equity and um, the recommendations from this group. We contracted out to um, two different groups that worked together on this, and experts in the field of, of government and government programs and, and the impact on the community. And we had them do <clears throat> a deep dive and look at our look at our county. They looked at us from A to Z, from the airport to the zoo. And, and came up with these recommendations. And I should say that the consultants are actually presenting this report tomorrow evening at 5.15 um, in before the executive committee of the county board because the executive committee of the county board is who voted to do this and the county board paid for this. So and it's an open meeting in the county board chambers. If anyone is interested in this issue, at 5.15, the consultants will be there presenting, and then we're going to have some time afterwards that people can talk to the consultants. Um, but we're, we're unique in the country. Dane County is the only county in the whole country that has gone to this um, level to ask for outside help and outside analysis of what can we do better as a county. And it's a call to action, uh, this report is. And it's um, in, se- in several ways. They have some overarching principles that they say that we need to, to make part of our culture. And what, the first thing is to normalize um, racial, our racial equity goals. And that means make sure that everybody in the county who works for the county understands that we have these goals and they, um, that that's something that we're working toward and that they're, that they're um, understanding it and part of creating the goals, too. And, and I, as I say this, some people may think, in fact, it said in the paper, they were nebulous goals. And, um, and I think that it's, you know, there may be something a little nebulous about making racial equity conversations and goals part of a culture, but you don't ever change things for the long term unless you've got everybody on board with you. If you've got just leadership making decisions on things, then you're not changing the culture. You're not making this work part of the very fabric of the, of the institution. And so that's that's very important, in my opinion, is to make racial equity, something that we all talk about, something that we all think about. And that's the second thing is to operationalize what we what we do. And that means to 
implement tools that we use when we talk, when we're working toward racial equity. And a lot of times people don't know what is a racial equity lens or a racial equity tool. And it's a confusing term, but really it's asking some basic, basic questions when we're making decisions. And that's saying, who benefits when we, when we do the things this way? Who's burdened when we do it this way? Who's not at the table when we're making the decision? And what are the unintended consequences of decisions that we make? And that's really the basis of having a racial equity tool is to be asking those questions as you're moving forward and think about what the impact is you're having on all communities. And sometimes it, it, um, it just doesn't make sense to it's something that may seem logical. Really, you don't realize what the unintended consequence is. I mean, there's, we just changed the marijuana fines in Dane County, um, and the part, and we control outside of incorporated areas, and we lowered them down to, I think it's a dollar that we lowered it down to because really this is something that set young people on the path to involvement with the criminal justice system. There are communities in Dane County where there still are very high fines, and it, it may seem to make sense. You want to stop youths from doing something, so you set high fines. But what is ended up happening is they're unable to pay those fines. They end up, it, it compiles, and pretty soon they have warrants for their arrest. And, you know, they, they're involved in the criminal justice system for something that they did that if you were from a well-to-do family, you'd be able to pay that fine and be on your way to, you know, to being just fine and not have it, anything happen. But if you're a, a young person who doesn't have money, it sets you on the course to having a record on the books um, that goes beyond a, just a, a misdemeanor. So that's that's um, an example of not asking the question before you do it and then changing things when you do ask the question. And lastly, they recommend that we organize and build organizational capacity, empower leaders in the, in the county to, um, to work on these issues and to partner with the community. That's really important to do outreach in the community. We have, they have, um, this is another area where I wish I was able to have a screen here to show you. Um, because I just did screenshots of some of the detailed plans that they've given us about about and you can't see them, but there <laughs> there are very detailed plans that the that the consultant has given us about checklists of things to do and timelines to work on. It's a four-year plan to um, to look at just at creating within the county a structure of of uh, having this as part of our culture, part of our work, and to look at everything from, you know, how we do job applications. Does our online system pre prevent some people from, from applying to jobs? Do we need to provide some extra resources to some people because they don't have access or the ability to do an online application? Do, um, when we, when we put jobs out, do we put just the minimal um, qualifications for that job, or do we add some things? Do we say it needs a college degree because we just we know there's lots of college degrees in town, and so we know we can get that? And do we do we ask that question and look at things like that and say, is it really you could do this job with a high school degree, but we're we're blocking some people from getting it? And looking at things like contracting out, um, who do we contract out with, and why does it end up we have um, have only 1% minority and female contracts for, with the county. So asking questions like that and, and going through departments, and um, they've given us a checklist that we have a lot of work to do on, and 
it's it's going to cost some money, so there's some bu- there's some budget impacts. So we're going to have a, they have to have some conversations at the county level. But I'm excited to have that direction, and I'm looking forward to the conversations with my colleagues on that. Another issue on racial equity that we worked on is our criminal justice work groups. And I I saw that in the materials that were distributed for tonight that um, there was some, um, one of the pieces was our resolution 556 um, that was done through the um, Public Protection and Judiciary Committee. Supervisor Krause, who's in the audience, um, was a member of that committee. And it really, it started in the fall um, looking at a number of issues in the criminal justice system dealing with racial equity. And, um, and it, this, this resolution evolved. If you look at the history of it, it has, um, <laughs> it has major changes as it went through because we truly did work with the community on the resolution. Um, it, it grew out of um, an interest in addressing the, um, the inequities in our jail in Dane County. We have we, over half of the population in our jail is African-American. Five percent of our community is African-American. And it's, um, it's, it's a huge disparity. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of reasons for that. And a lot of, re- some, many of the reasons we don't know. But we need to look at, at what's going on in our jail and figure out, um, how to better, better address those issues. So we didn't come up with examples, but we did, I mean, with, um, that resolution didn't solve the problem, but we worked with the community, and there was a lot of interest in the community in being part of a conversation, a lot of ideas in the community about things that we could do better. So we created three work groups that I have to just give a lot of credit to the people on these work groups. We have three work groups of 11 people each, um, and there are also some advisors to the work groups. They have worked so hard all summer long. They're just about ready to come out with their recommendations. And the three areas that we have these recommendations were, first of all, our mental health work group. And mental health um, is really a huge issue, both for whites and African Americans. Nationally, though, 44 percent of all of um, individuals in jails and prisons have mental health challenges. But for African-Americans, it's 66% of African-Americans who are in um, jails and prisons have mental health challenges. So we put this group together, had them, we gave them some direction of like, look at a toolkit for judges that they could use as options for treatment. Um, look at the possibility of a standalone community facility and how would we fund that? Is there, are there funding resources? Um, and also look at specifically how do we eliminate or greatly reduce the use of solitary confinement in our jail. It's a, it's a huge problem. In our jail, we don't have any special needs beds, and that's part of the battle, and that's what was our struggle as we went forward with this is we need to spend some money on our jail, but the community is saying we spend too much on the jail. We we um, we have we have a lot of people in there that maybe we shouldn't have in there. So we need to look at what what is that balance, and and how do we how do we um, appropriately um, deal with is- people who have violated the law and keep them from reoffending, but um, also. But, but not be putting people in jail. And is, it, is does put, putting people in jail do the job that we want them to do? So the, the mental health group has been working all summer. We have a group on length of stay and looking at how to reduce the length of stay in the jail. Because the statistics really show that the longer you're in jail, the more likely you are to reoffend. 
It just that's what the statistics are. When you the longer you keep somebody in there, the more likely they're to come back another time. And we keep a lot of people in the jail for for a long time because just of when they I mean a long time being uh, several days that they might have been out really quickly if they had been arrested on a Monday, but they get arrested on a Thursday and they're still in there the next Monday because of the way the processes work and the opportunities for being arraigned. So there's looking at things like that, how we do signature bonds, you know, opportunities for deferred prosecution, um, pre-trial services, and, and th- looking at things that could reduce the length of stay. And they're working on that. And again, we'll have the, I'll tell you when we're going to have all these recommendations in just a minute. And the last group is alternatives to incarceration. And the community restorative court I talked about at the beginning. It's, we're excited about this pilot project. We've got our first defendants in it this summer. It's, we're piloting it um, in South Madison. And it's a project where we have community members come together to be part of a restorative, uh, a group that works with individuals who've violated the law. It's for misdemeanors at this point for young, youthful offenders who are adults but under 25 years old. And that they, it's an opportunity to do restorative justice, that instead of putting people in the criminal justice system and giving them a record, they have to respond to their community, which a lot of times might be a lot harder than um, actually being in the system, but it keeps them from getting a record. And we train the individuals who work as part of the, the community court, and we're, we're seeing a lot of success. We're hoping to expand on that project. It's um, an exciting thing that we're doing here in Dane County. But the, and the groups on alternatives to incarceration is also looking at other ideas like that and recommend, recommendations on expansion. So we're, we're looking forward to getting the work group reports. We've had, um, as I said, a lot of people who've committed a lot of time over this summer. The, just to let you know, um, to be on the lookout for this, September 21st is the report to the Public Protection and Judiciary Committee. September 24th is the report to the Criminal Justice Council. We're just having the facilitators and the members of the group report to these various groups. And finally, on October 12th, we're going to do a community conversation at the Alliant Energy Center, inviting the community in to kind of talk about what the recommendations are and, um, and to get, a, get some responses on that. So we're looking forward to that. I, probably, I, don't, hope I'm not, I don't have access to a clock, so I hope I'm not um, going... Oh, seven thirty. Okay, okay, okay. I just I didn't want to keep you here all night, and um, I wanted to make sure I wasn't over. That seemed like it went a little long. Um, the second um, topic I wanted to talk about was affordable housing and homelessness, and it's an issue in our community that's gotten a lot of attention in recent years. And because we've we've got a we've got a lot of individuals in the community who are in need of housing, and we also have have a lot of people who are having a struggling to keep the housing they have. And part of the problem in Dane County is, is the lack of affordable housing in the county. I think we have a, around a 2% vacancy rate in housing in Dane County. And it's just it's hard to get an apartment, even if you have a Section 8 or, or a voucher or a veteran's voucher. It's hard to get places. And we work very hard with individuals to get places. But that's is a key problem is affordable housing. And... Um, we work, though, with a number of, we work with a lot of not-for-profits in the community. We work with churches. We work with the city of Madison. Um, so we have a lot of partners. One of the things that Edith asked me to do is talk about partners um, with some of this. And really, 
partnerships are key to solving so many problems. None of us are going to be able to do this alone. Um, I have, I just got yesterday some numbers on on homelessness, and it's the point in time numbers that they do account um, in at periodic times in the year and compare the numbers. And I wish I could show this to you better, but it's the top line shows that there was, an, and it's from 2011 to 2015, but it, um, it goes there's really a leveling off and maybe even a little bit of a dropping of the total numbers of of homeless in the community but it's not it's not significant um the dropping but it's um it's it's showing that really we're dealing with a population that um, we have a lot of individuals who are homeless but um it's not th- this section here is people who are not chronically homeless. So really the bulk of the numbers are people that are cycling through the system and are either getting housing or, you know, where we're being able to work with them. The bottom numbers are the chronic homeless. And that is that is a continuing problem in the community and um, one that we need to, to be able to address them, to address their problem too. So we have, in their kind of different issues sometimes with, sometimes with people who, you know, just aren't they are not able to find housing and they're homeless. Somebody who um, lost their place to live got kicked out for whatever reason and they're they're trying to get back on their feet. Versus somebody who may be chronically homeless, maybe has um, alcohol or drug dependence issues or mental health issues. There are some different issues that we have to address, and we invest in a lot of different areas already to try to address those issues. Um, we invest, and last year in our Dane County budget had almost $2 million for homeless and supportive housing services in the county. And also last year we started in our budget, we put $2 million in our capital budget on top of that other money for working to um, expand affordable housing options in the community. And we've done several things with that money, um, which I'll talk about in a minute. But it's, we, one of the things is that we want to work with people who want to build housing that's affordable and be able to help them with some of the financing for it. So that's, that's what that money, and we hope to do that over the four years to have a total of $8 million in our affordable housing fund. Some of the kind of things that we spend that that first money that I talked about, the $2 million in the budget for homeless and supportive housing services, we do things like um, emergency shelters. We help fund five sites in the county that also include case management and mental health and AOTA services. And we're excited about adding some more um, money into the budget that we're going to be able to draw down through Medicaid because we just became um, certified to be able to pr- refer um, individuals through Medicaid on mental to get more mental health services, and we have providers that we're working with on that. So it's really going to mean millions of dollars coming into the community that we're able to use on mental health, and that just has happened recently, so we're excited about that. Um, we have money in the budget to help um, Briar Patch Youth Services provide for unaccompanied youth. We um, have used some of our, our capital dollars for co-op housing for young adults. Um, we have a co-op that we bought on Roth Street, and it's an opportunity. And there's services, there are wraparound services that go with that um, for people that need some support and their young adults. Um, we work with um, the Domestic Abuse Intervention Services. We provided $2 million to help complete their facility so that women in need would have a place to live. And we work um, providing housing case management and homeless prevention services through the Community Action Coalition. 
And we provide day services through um, Bethel Lutheran Church has a day service facility, and we also have a temporary day service facility at Hospitality House on Martin Street. Um, but we're still five minutes more. So, okay. I won't get to my lakes. I'll just I'll stop on these, and you can ask questions on the lakes when you get to that. But <laughs> um, if we have about five minutes more. Um, And what are we working on in homeless services? Well, we're working on trying to find a permanent day resource center. And we've looked at sites that are closer to downtown. Part of the struggle is finding places that are for sale. First of all, there's a lot of property that might not be occupied, but it isn't for sale right now. And we're working on that and trying to find um, resources for that. We also have just broken ground on a project um, using the model of housing first, It's on Rethke Street, and we're going to be having 60 units there. It's for people that are chronically homeless, it's that have alcohol and drug abuse um, issues, and need supportive housing. And it's going to have services, and we're excited about about providing those services. 60 units is going to make a, a good dent in the chronically homeless population. We hope to be doing also something on Tree Lane um, at some point um, for families similar to that with support with services. And we put together an affordable housing summit in May, working with not-for-profits and developers and trying to bring everybody together to work together on these issues, and we're working to keep those um, individuals going. So we're excited about the work um, on affordable housing. There's a lot There's a lot of issues. I know there's some questions on um, some of the issues of the um, issues with homelessness in the community, and I will be glad to ask those, answer those questions when we get to questions instead of delving in anymore. I, I just want to say on Clean Lakes, I, I will be very brief and not take up too much more of, of the question time, but um, we work hard on keeping our lakes clean. It's some of the area that we're doing some of our most scientifically innovative work in the community. We have an exciting project with adaptive management, and we're working with the Madison Metropolitan Sewerage District to be able to, um, to, be able to work to keep phosphorus out of the lakes. Because of the Clean Water Act, they have to reduce how much phosphorus they put back into the water system, and they end up it's, uh, if you saw a map of the system, they end up putting their discharge back in the end of it. But we're working on adaptive management where instead of ex- putting expensive equipment into Madison Metropolitan Sewage District, we're working to keep phosphorus out of the lakes and meet their goals by working with farmers to keep runoff from their fields from coming into the lakes so that we have less phosphorus. It's much cheaper than putting buying the equipment, and it's exciting innovative work that um, involves a lot of collection of data and measuring and making sure that the practices like roofs on um, feedlots and building grass um, buffers and things like that and testing how they work. And Carol Terrell in the audience here is an expert on that, (laughs) serving on the um, Sewage District Board. But it's it's an exciting partnership that MMSD has with over 30 partners, and we're excited about that. We're doing exciting things also, on just um, working with the university on keeping the lakes clean, and there's a thing, I wish I could show this to you too, it's, um, it's called floating bog interceptors, and they're, um, they're, they're something that Professor Chin Wu at the university developed and designed and worked with his students, and they're like kind of floating rafts uh, in Cherokee Marsh in which grass is growing and the roots are, are working down to... Um, 
fasten into the the um, lake bed, and then they helps their silt that builds in behind them the way it works, and so it will expand the shoreline in Cherokee Marsh because we've been losing shoreline there, and it'll help expand it, and it will also the way the currents work. It will filter out phosphorus that comes down the Yahara River into Cherokee Marsh before it gets into Lake Mendota. It's um, an exciting project that we're expanding. I've been out there a couple times to look at it. It's a lot of, it's, it's just fun to see how science can come up with something so simple um, to solve a problem. And so it's simple solutions like that and also working with farmers on simple solutions like um, grass that are going to help us um, keep some, keep this out of the, keep phosphorus out of the lake and keep the algae from growing in the lake. And I, I guess I just want to conclude by saying that there's a, there's a lot of issues in the county and, and as Edith said, you know, who are your partners in this? And, and we're all partners in solving these problems. We all have to raise our hand and say, I, you know, I want to be a part of the solution. And um, I'm interested in reaching out to the community to help, in addition to the, commu- the criminal justice work groups, looking at issues as we go forward, looking at issues, making sure we're hearing from the community on answers that the community may have on, on issues. And so um, it's an exciting time on the county board, and I'm glad to share that little bit of information with you. Thank you very much. Is there a microphone? Hello. Um, wonderful presentation. Thank you. And we all appreciate the county. I mean, my goodness, both Parisi and the county board do wonderful work. I know, though, that other communities have stopped their courts from assessing bail. Um, And this would go a long way to delivering what you have been referring to as injustice or inequities in our prison jail system. It's a debtor's prison, the way it's operating from my perspective. Um, These people should not be required to have bail. Uh, This morning, um, one of the young gifted and black leaders, Brandy Grayson, was ticketed for a pulled over and ticketed for a headlight. That's an $84 fine. That's four points they proposed to take off of a driver's license. I would ask that this kind of behavior, I think she's being targeted. They've actually come in and talked to her children her children in her absence. This has got to stop. And from my perspective, the lack of affordable housing, my understanding is the study that was done puts us, if we built a thousand units of housing for the next 26 years, we would finally be at some kind of parity with what is an acceptable affordable housing level. We are so far behind. Oh, I'm very sorry. I was hoping that you could assure um, those of us here who are interested in that, the bail issue, if you could assure us that that would be looked into and, and, and that bail would not be required for 
things like um, the, the, well, what is just now being required for. Thanks, Ann. That has been a concern of ours, and I know the group has been looking at that also of, of, of issues with bail. I know that there was a pilot being done. A private group had offered up money to pay bail for individuals who would be eligible for it. And I don't know that they've had any takers on that. And I, so I think that there's, part of it is there are probation holds that the state has that keep people in jail. So it's a complicated issue, but I'm hoping that we get some recommendations out of our work group that help us address that piece of the issue. Very nice presentation in spite of the technical difficulties. Um, uh, sorry? So, okay. My question is, What's going on between the county and the city around the day shelter that we need before winter sets in and that I've just heard isn't going to happen? Well, first of all, I, I'm not sure that it is going to happen because of how long it's taken us to find a place. Um, and I agree with you that we need to move forward as quickly as we can, um, if, even if we have to begin the winter without it, but to try to get it during this winter. Um, I just I toured some properties earlier this, uh, I guess it was last week that I was touring, and um, I know that the county is continuing to search Four properties working very closely with city staff, the, our county staff is, um, and looking at on some, some properties. The, there's a lot of places that are, that are empty in Madison, but they're not for sale. And so we're looking for properties that are for sale. We need about, I think the, the, the estimates are we need about 6,000 square feet for what we need to do for a, um, a permanent day resource center to have space for families and space for individuals, but also have services because that's a really key part of the resource center is to get people services. So um, we're looking and, um, and working very hard on that. And I, I have been very involved in working with the city council members, the leadership on the city council meeting about this issue because we're both, um, both I can speak for the county board and for the city council, we're both um, interested in making this happen. I know our Department of Human Services has worked very closely with the city staff um, on this too. So we're working on it and hope to have something. Right now we have the temporary resource center and vans that will take people there, and it's on Martin Street. Um, and then there's Bethel that's downtown, but you're right. We need something permanent with, with resources there. Hi. Are you expecting anything in the county budget about transit and a study of transit outside the city of Madison and perhaps a study of what the most efficient fare might be for that transit? I think that there are individuals looking at, uh, at what their proposal will be on transit. We just held transit listening sessions throughout the areas outside of Madison um, because there's, there's such a need in, in communities that have transit, but it isn't sufficient to get people in quickly, and areas that are part of the Metropolitan Planning Organization that don't have transit. And so um, Robin Schmidt, who chairs our Public Works and Transportation Committee, she takes the transportation part of her um, um, committee very seriously and she's put together these um, listening sessions and she really targeted local officials in communities to have them come to the session she had good turnout and she's working on the next steps from that and I'm looking forward to getting kind of the information from those um, sessions so it's it's something that there's a lot of interest in how 
we as the county who don't really, we don't fund transit right now. It's, it's cities that do. And, um, but we recognize there's a need for help in planning this and figuring out is there, is there, some, is there a role that we can play? And, and because we don't right now, but in leadership and, and perhaps in funding some of the capital costs of it, we might be able to, to help with it. So the, I know that they're going to look at that. I have um, actually three questions, and, you know, hopefully you can just bang them right out. Um, one is, could you give us a list of, say, three or four of the other top issues that are facing um, the county board? Um, you mentioned that you're partnering with Bethel, but I know that Bethel's Hope House was defunded recently, so their transitional housing for women was closed, and um, why can you work with like one part of them and not another. And my question about the October 12th meeting at the Alliance Center is there's no bus system, I don't think, out there, especially evening. And if you want to normalize having people from all different kinds of communities, that's not going to be an easy place for some people to get to. And a venue of a very, very large meeting like that might not necessarily um, encourage some people to give their input and to actually um, participate. And it's a, that's a good point. We struggled to find a place to hold this, <laughs> to tell you the truth. But, but um, we... Um, and we need, wanted a lot the kind of space that we had that you have we have at Alliant Energy. It is I, 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 my understanding there is a bus out to there, um, and that's why we chose it to make sure it was on a bus route. And um, if if individuals want to come to the the session that's with the Public Protection and Judiciary Committee, it'll be on the 21st of September in Madison, um, in the um, city county building in Madison. But it's a it's a good point. We need to always be trying to figure out how to get more people at a site and what what is the is the best way to do that. Um, there, are, I mean, there are many other issues that um, we are we look at when we're from the county. You ask for other issues and. I had people come up to me and, and ask about what are we doing, you know, why aren't you talking about climate change? And, it, and you know, that may seem distant, but it impacts a lot of what government does, climate change does, and, and it impacts how uh, so many things, but how we deal with um, run, uh, big storm surges that we're getting and changes. It, it's costing government in infrastructure um, to address that. Um, another issue is just how do we how are we going to continue to fund our human services? We put a, we don't not all of them are paid with um, federal drawdown. We put a lot of county d- dollars into our human services, and we've got a levy cap, and we've got we've got to figure out how are we going to continue to make sustainable um, our efforts. Um, we've got um, operations in the county and things like. Looking at the Alliant Energy Center is a critical issue for the county. Right now, um, we're concerned about it ended up not um, paying for the, the facility by the shows that are there. It's, it's verging on being near drawing on general purpose funds. And so we're looking at what, what can we do to change that and to make sure that it, it's not a draw on things but it is, continues to be an asset for the community. It's really one of the few in the country, if not the only in the country, that is, has been self-sustaining. Other um, convention centers like that get 
um, government funding. And so it's, it's unusual in that regard, and we want it to continue to be. So it's important to look at that and make decisions, understanding it's more than just about what the convention center looks like, but it's how it impacts the rest of the budget, too. Um, so those are, I mean, some issues, but um, there's... If I go to any of my um, committees, I'm going to um, have have issues that I think about whether it's the Zoning and Land Regulation Committee. They just dealt with the um, issue of Enbridge and a pipeline coming through the county, and how do we, you know, how do we make our statement to protect um, land in the county um, when um, if there's a spill when the um, when the, and then the, we required insurance after we had a, an expert recommend additional insurance, and then the legislature came and, and changed that. We're struggling with have, maintaining autonomy in the county as a, a county with a legislature that kind of picks and chooses what they don't like, what we do, and, and changes the law based on it. And they did a number of things this year on changing um, our, our authority as a county. And so that's a, that's a struggle. So there's... I could I could go on, but those are some of the issues. And now I forget your third question. Oh, Bethel. And, and I, you know what? I don't know the answer on Hope House, but it's, I'm sure it'll be part of the budget. And um, but I'm I'm the discussion of it. And um, it's when we get a budget and we look at it and figure out how we do. In fact, I just talked to someone from the Homeless Services Board yesterday when I was at another event who asked um, if he could have the chance to talk to me. So um, I'm going to be talking to someone from Bethel soon. So. I think there's a, I'll let – she had a question. She had her hand up before, but oh. – I'll, I'll bring the microphone okay. up there. I think there's one more question, and then she's going to bring it up. Uh, <clears throat> changing the subject a little bit on your first topic about racial inequality are there any implications you should draw from the fact there are no non-white faces in this crowd you know I, I is it one <laughs> I think I think it speaks to um I, I, I'm not sure what the implication is of that, but I do think it speaks to the changing face of Madison. And as someone with quite a bit of gray hair in my on my head, I can say that I, young, you know, there there are more people of color who are younger in Madison. I'm not that there aren't um, an aging um, people of color too, but it's just we're going to have more and more individuals in our community who are, um, are not looking like most of the rest of this crowd. But I think that's it's an interesting point. It's something I thought of as I was um, as I was talking that I'm speaking to mostly white crowd about why we should all care, even if we aren't impacted by that issue, though. It's something I think it's it's almost more important to speak to a mostly white crowd about this issue than because if you are a person of color, you really have lived this issue in, in Dane County and understand it in a way that those of us who are white don't understand. This is a real quick question. I think I heard you say in your presentation that you got some money from the feds for mental health services. Uh, if, and I understood from what I've see, heard on the news lately that all of that money, and you said through Medicaid, I think, mm-hmm. and I thought that all that money had been shut down. 
Well, we would, as a state, have gotten Medicaid to pay for some services that the state is actually paying for. It's, it's interesting that because the state didn't take um, the expansion of Medicaid, it's actually costing the state millions and millions of dollars um, because because the state is filling in some of that. But on this um, on this particular issue, it is it is federal money that we're able to dr- to draw down through Medicaid. It's through. It's CCS and Community Comprehensive Services, I think it is, and we're, we've been certified and we have providers that we can direct individuals to. The providers are working with us and have been, have been registered with us, and we are able to, um, in, to, to direct individuals. I, I really think it's, it's, an important, it's an important game changer in providing mental health services to individuals who don't have insurance right now other than Medicaid. Hi. Um, could you just do an update on the biodigesters of the state? I think the county has two, and they've had mixed uh, results from what I read in the past. So could you do an update? Sure, absolutely. Um, I, ha- I had a slide on that, but I skipped over it in, in the interest of time. Um, I, we do have two biodigesters. One is in the town of Springfield, and one is right outside Wanakee um, in Vienna. Um, it's um, they. They are they're different. Um, in the Vienna one was um, a little was built earlier and it has had some struggles. You're right. It um, but it's it seems it's it's beginning to operate under the standards. Um, the town of Springfield one has been operating more efficiently and more effectively and taking more of um, the phosphorus out of the of the um, the manure. So that we're. We're actually piloting something at the town of Springfield also to take 100% of the phosphorus, adding some additional technology to then have purified water really to be able to um, to release after that's done. So we're piloting that there. But they are they are part of a larger, you know, the whole comprehensive adaptive management. Um, and in some ways they deal, I mean, they, they deal with bulk and helping keep runoff from going off the field because you're not putting so much um, on the fields of manure and you're able to target um, the, your phosphorus application a little bit more. But we're really, we're, we're, that's part of it. We're relying also on the other adaptive management, things like grass buffers and um, setbacks of, of um, a spreading of manure and making sure that we're enforcing the, the spreading laws that are in effect right now. Hi. Hi. I am interested in the projects that you're talking about in terms of the housing with regards to Tree Lane specifically. Are they going to be leveling the housing that's there, or are they going to be building new structures? Do you know what? I don't know the answer to that question. I um, I know that's where they talked about um, building the the family housing and I don't know um, where what the actual location is. I know it didn't get the tax credits for this year, so it won't be done this year. It would be another year off. But I don't I don't know the site particularly specifically. I'm interested because I know Tree Lane was already a low income housing for years, mm-hmm. and I think they get the uh, TIF money, and then it's a 20 year cycle. So that's why I'm mm-hmm. asking: okay. uh, Is this developer I mean, are they going to level those apartments that's there, or are they going to actually add new housing? No, I'm not sure. And if you gave me your name afterwards, I'd be glad to check into it and find out the answer for you. Thank you. 
I just have a quick question. Um, we were all very excited about your redistricting plan for the county, and it's gotten a lot of national attention as maybe the only county in the whole nation that's doing a nonpartisan redistricting. Could you just tell us a little about that, since that's near and dear to our hearts? Sure, absolutely. We're very excited about this, and <clears throat> that was another issue I could have included on um, critical issues facing the county. It's um, we, we are excited about this. Supervisor Jenny Dye is leading the committee. Your own Andrea Kaminsky is on the committee um, helping to work on this. And we are what a, we have a committee working together to devise a plan for nonpartisan redistrict, redistricting for when Dane County redistricts again after the next census. And you may think it's a little early for us to be looking at redistricting, but we decided as a county that it's a lot easier for all of the supervisors to approve a plan when you don't know that it's if you're going to be the one sitting there and having your district changed and to do it a little bit earlier is a lot um, is a lot less stressful on individual supervisors and, and, and it helps you say, yeah, let's go ahead and do it. So that's why we decided to do it early so that we're doing it as a concept. And um, we are excited about hopefully having something shortly after the um, next year, the beginning of next year, we hope to have something to look at as a county board and approve. We'd like to have it be something that can, other counties could model in Wisconsin, across the country, as counties do their redistricting. We'd also love to see the state model, take our model and use it for the state, too. So that's all right. I think we have maybe one more question. I'm very curious about the relationship between the DNR and uh, the county and dealing with water quality in our lakes, uh, shoreline structure and, and pollution and so forth. It seems to me that I read some time ago that the DNR was sort of restructuring, streamlining itself, streamlining so that shoreline quality was going to be put under the business services division of the DNR rather than under a scientific branch of the DNR. So to what extent are the scientific projects that you've described this evening to deal with issues like water quality and, and shoreline stability and so forth, how does the DNR interact with the county for those projects? I, I know our, our staff in the Land and Water Resources Department has a, a close relationship with DNR. In fact, when I talked about the floating bogs, um, there's a gentleman who works for DNR who was on, was on the boat I was on going out to look at them and has been involved with them because we have to get permits from DNR for things like that. Um, so we have a relationship with them. DNR also works with CARPC, the Capital Area Regional Planning Commission, to do, um, to do, to, and Carol Taylor is also on that. <laughs> she does everything um, to um, may approve um, urban service areas. So there is that. They've limited what CARPC can do through state legislation. This is another area the state stepped into and said, CARPC can't do all that it's been doing. And it's really an important role of, of um, working to try to work with de developers to make sure that standards were met. Now they have 90 days to look at a project, and if they don't, then it goes to DNR for, for approval or denial, um, if that would be ever happen. Um, but, and so... Um, 
So, I mean, it's been changed by legislation in this last year, the the relationship has because of of that legislation. And also with shoreland zoning, um, the the legislation this past year also limited what we can do, and we can't have any standards higher than the state, which really, for a county like Dane, where the the watershed is so important to our very core, um, it really is, it really hurts us, so... I think we're done. (laughs) Thank you so much. I'm glad to have been here tonight. Thank you very much.